the things that I think that I've found that have helped patients, that's what I employ to help myself. And I've had patients, you know, get overwhelmed or, you know, think, oh, you're, you know, just pointing out what's not going well. And it's like, you have to learn, right? You have to take that feedback to try to get better. And, you know, I don't have my head so far up my own butt that I can't recognize that I don't have all the answers. And I think that's been the most freeing thing for me clinically and personally is is being able to say to a patient like i don't know i i'm sorry i don't know but like i'm gonna try to figure it out like doing that is so much more relieving to a patient because it shows them that you are a human too and that you're on this path with them and you know we're all just flying through space trying to figure out what the heck is going on and why we're here and how to feel okay about our existence and like i'm doing the same damn thing podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro and you're about to get maestro Three, two, one. Hello, friends. Maestro here, and welcome back to another episode of Maestro on the Mic. Today, I am absolutely stoked, like standing up right now, so stoked. This guest, I had him on, get ready for this, folks, episode number 14. Number 14. This is going to be episode number 356. This dude, I brought him on in the beginning because he had so much to say, or I felt he had so much to say, and I felt that his voice was just so needed in the space. That episode aired on May 21st, 2018. That's like four years ago. I brought him back on today. I've been following him. You know, we're friends. I've been following the stuff he's, he's putting on, on social media, finally. And we're going to talk about that. And let's be honest, folks. It is time for a change. There is a better way. There is help out there. There are people who are putting skin in the game. They're putting their neck on the line. They're putting their neck out there. They are doing things. And I want them on this show. And Dr. Mitchell Rasmussen is one of them. He's a functional med doc. He's a chiropractor. But I know when you hear that word chiropractor, you're like, oh, I'm going to crack my neck. We're talking about that as well because he doesn't do that. Nothing against that, but that's not his approach anymore. There's been a huge transition, transformation, growth from the beginning or from, shall we say, the episode that was four years ago to where he is now. And we have so much to catch up on. I am incredibly stoked to share this episode with you. Without further ado, welcome to the show, my good friend, Dr. Mitchell Rasmussen. Mitch, Mitchell, my guy, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I am just, I know we were talking a bit before, you know, we hit record and I'm still smiling. Like since from the day I met you, when, you know, back in the day, my very beginning days of rock tape, like you stood out. One, because you're like a giant, but uh, just you, your presence, your approach to things. And it is, it's just so good to see you doing the things in the way you want to be doing them now. So thank you for taking the time out of a very busy schedule to come on and chat. It's just, this is awesome, my dude. Yeah, I remember when you taught that we are, uh, our, where I was working hosted a, rock tape course that you taught and I remember I was so excited I couldn't stop talking you actually had to 
ask me to stop talking. That's like how our friendship started. Um, how sad. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, it's been a, it's been quite the last few years of growth and journey and, you know, getting to the place now, you know, running our own clinic where we're, you know, really trying to take the, you know, chronic pain, chronic inflammation, chronic autoimmune conditions, you know, trying to take it to the next level um, for patients. And, you know, it's, it's been, it has been quite the journey. Can you actually go a little bit into that? Folks, we will link, Courtney, thank you, the uh, first episode. But you're in a very different place right now. Um, Not necessarily physically, still in Denver, but career-wise. Can you just take us through a little bit of that journey and where you're at now in owning the facility? The facility Denver, excuse me. Yeah, we uh, I essentially, you know, I uh, I was working in a big clinic, getting to do what I wanted practice wise, which, you know, from the beginning as a chiropractor, even going to school, my interest was in doing functional medicine. When I learned what that was um, and I knew I could do, you know, three and a half years of chiropractic school to get that training, to get that scope of practice, to be able to you know learn on my own independently um, through functional medicine and immunology curriculums, um, I knew that I was going to struggle to work in a chiropractic clinic as an associate. I was able to find a pretty good gig where I was able to work that way, but I was still working for somebody. Um, and it just isn't the same as you know. So I essentially, I'm not the most like organized person. It's hard for me to get, you know, a business loan and a business plan put together because I, I love studying, learning and treating patients. So I had to kind of finagle a few friends into, going to get master's degrees in in clinical nutrition, uh, convincing a friend to move across the country out here to be one of our more organized types of people and essentially just gathering a bunch of people that had skills that I didn't have so that I could be who I was. And I think that was a huge, you know, I kind of lucked out that I was able to find people that didn't ask too much of me from an organization or you know mm-hmm. business planning perspective and i was able to you know really run the clinical side of things um fast forward a couple of years yeah i mean we've got a second location we've got we're bringing on a new physical therapist we've got four doctors you know nutritionist therapy we do a lot of like emdr and, and essentially we didn't like the model of healthcare where wait till you're sick to make a superhuman effort to save you Um, So we're trying to design our own and, you know, my kind of my thing now is middle medicine where we, we use modern diagnostics and labs and testing and all of that kind of stuff. But then instead of, you know, having hard biochemical points around pharmaceutical drugs, we're actually looking at trying to get into the nitty gritty of the physiology to help you change it from the inside out. I always think, you know, a good treatment, the goal of a good treatment is to not need it. And (laughs) the system, the medical system generally is you, you are never understood why something's going on. Um, and you just kind of become a victim to the system where you're going in, you get a 10 minute visit with somebody, you get a new prescription and you just, you never really move forward. And that's heartbreaking. I think, you know, functioning outside of insurance, we get to, we get to focus on the patient and on education and, you know, that takes time. And that's, what's given to us as we design our own system. Mitchell, how did you make that transition from working to some working for someone else? And one, I'm like, I love how you phrase that. You're like, I convinced some friends to go get a master's. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. How did how what did that transition actually look like? You left that place. You started this one right away. 
Well, yeah, we uh, we were able to you know secure you know with all the uh, school loans that go in. We were, you know a lot of us were high debt. A lot of the mm-hmm. members, so we had to go outside of the banking system. We failed multiple times with banks, um, and we actually had to approach a not for profit called the Colorado Lending Source. Um, and I had to do a Shark Tank pitch. I had to stand wow. up in front of a group of investors. And I remember my voice kept cracking and I couldn't talk, but I just kept kept pushing through. And literally during the visit, they were like, well, we don't give money to chiropractors. And that was how the, that's how it started. Okay. But like I'd already failed a million times and I wasn't going I wasn't going to keep working for someone. So I just literally that sounds so cheesy, but I just kept telling myself, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And I kept pushing through. And by the end of the conversation, they gave us, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to start our business. And it, it blew my mind because literally it started by them saying, we, we don't give money to chiropractors. And by the end of my pitch, they realized like, oh, you guys aren't making a chiropractic clinic. You guys are making a, you know, an, an inclusive brand for people to come actually get well. And, you know, through some luck there, I guess it just happened. This is remarkable. I, I'm glad that I asked you to tease that out a little bit. That's incredible. Like, you did a Shark Tank pitch because you believed in this thing so freaking much. What did you say? Do you do you like remember some of those main talking points here? Like, what yeah. what did you say? I'm like getting nervous even thinking about it. I remember I literally, as I was going in, I kept yelling out loud. I, I was screaming to my, like loudly, I'm so excited. I'm so excited because I was so nervous and I felt like my nervous system wouldn't know the difference. So I just kept doing that. And then once my voice cracked a little bit, one of my partners took over and just kind of explained, you know, my role in the practice. And then I kept looking out to people for encouragement. They were so serious that I just... <laughs> let it go. I let it go because I was under the assumption that, well, they don't want to give me money anyway. So I could say whatever I want. And I honestly can't even remember what I talked about. I, I probably explained what functional medicine was. And I know I discussed, you know, billables at my current clinic and Mm -hmm. how I could translate that on my own, which obviously we didn't expect COVID to happen. So that's been, Oh yeah, that's right. uh, Okay. That's been a little bit different than we expected because we were only eight months old when COVID hit. Um, and we've slugged through this, but uh, no, I, I don't even remember what we talked Mitchell, about. It was a blur. This is one remarkable. Two, can you continue with that? What is functional medicine? Because I think that we, that most of the listeners have some idea. I personally have some idea, but it's kind of nebulous. And what is your definition of this, or how do you explain it to people? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say they do functional medicine and I and I and I think it makes my job more challenging because as a chiropractor, especially, you know, people come in, you know, they've maybe been muscle tested for supplements or, Mm. you know, they've gone to a place with some basic blood labs and then just given a bunch of supplements. And, you know, in my philosophy, functional medicine is working on the brain, working on the immune system and then cleaning up physiological messes that drive chronic inflammation. So, I mean, it involves generally, you know, a good amount of lab testing up front. But, you know, I always say, and I just made a post um, this week about it, like functional medicine does not mean take a bunch of supplements. And I think there's times and places where you really need to shift physiology, you know, polarization of T cells into certain directions if you have chronic inflammation, chronic infection. Um, but you know, it's, it's evolved as I've done more training where really now 
I look at functional medicine as helping the brain's stress response and cortical outflow and how it talks to the brain stem through the, you know, with vagal nerve stimulation and how important the vagus nerve is through not just thinking about stress, but I mean, thinking about inflammation. And we could even tease that out more if you wanted to. And then then really looking at how your immune system responds to triggers. You know, the immune system has this outrageous task of distinguishing self from non-self. That's every moment of every day, our mucosal services are being bombarded by pathogens, by potential allergens, by, you know, metals in the environment and persistent organic pollutants. And then not to mention the foods we eat. You know, every time you eat a food, your immune system has to decide, is this a friend or a foe? And so often that, you know, we always say disease begins in the gut. But if we, when we look to how that immune system interface functions in the GI tract, that's a lot of times in functional medicine where we really get down to the nuts and bolts. And I mean, I would say that's where a vast majority of our treatment starts with patients. And I talked about, you know, convincing people to go get master's degrees and stuff. My partner, Kate. You know, she's a clinical nutrition specialist and, you know, and it's, it's been so valuable to my practice because I did the first few years without mm-hmm. having a nutrition specialist. So I was having to spread myself thin and, you know, so often it even starts with just, you know, doing like an, an elimination diet or, you know, take out a few triggers and see how your body does. And, you know, I always say with functional medicine, the diet is rarely the treatment, even if you have celiac and you go gluten free lesions don't go away until you treat triggers, but you must have the diet in place in order for anything else to work. And I think that's where a lot of air quote functional medicine providers get it wrong is they'll just, they'll do a, like a bio screen. They'll take like 70 blood markers and they'll start plugging and playing with supplements. And it's like, well, hold on. What's, what's driving this? Well, you have this, you have this, okay, what's driving this? And so I think that's our role as functional medicine providers is to actually give a patient a cohesive picture of their physiology so they can you know kind of digest what might be driving the condition mitchell I, one i fucking love the passion and the fire i want to keep going with that because when i think about treating and functional med and medicine and things like that uh, what you just said about what is driving this what is driving this where do you see and i know it's going to be dependent on the person but like where is there, have you found, or can you enlighten me on like, where does it end in terms of like, well, what's driving that? Well, what's driving that? Like, does that just go on forever? Yeah. I mean, it truly does. I, uh, you know, I, you look at, you know, it blew my mind. I remember when I started to learn about brain feedback, remember it was like 2011. And I realized that the hypothalamus and pituitary drive all essentially all hormonal outflow and and then i just like looked at one of my teachers and i was like but what tells the hypothalamus what to do and i remember i i literally like freaked out i remember looking around in my class and nobody else was even paying attention but i was mind blown as i was sitting there realizing that oh that is either coming from some je ne sais quoi or that is coming from the feedback from the rest of the system so i mean mm-hmm. you are a loop you know when we think of mm-hmm. drugs there's not, I don't think there's a such thing as a side effect. There's effects, there's intended effects, and then there's known adverse effects. Because when you inhibit certain enzymes or degrade certain proteins, you can't occur in a linear fashion. There's going to be all sorts of outgoing manifestations from that, from turning something on or off. So, I mean, it is, it's truly an entire web. But as you talk about, like, where does it end? I think more importantly, where does it start? 
in a lot of ways. And that's where, again, I go back to the brain and the brain's outflow. I look at this, this body we have is this amazing generator of the brain. When what I mean is you use your body to drive this supercomputer, mm-hmm. you know, and the supercomputer is, is the reason we want to climb a mountain. The supercomputer is the reason that we want to pursue a partner or, you know, have hobbies and passions. It's not the body, the, the body is trying to conserve as much as it can. The brain is what wants to express life. So if we can get back to the brain and think about number one, good cortical, you know, health and blood flow. And then number two, like I said, brainstem activation, generally that's a big place because what patient have you ever met that's not dealing with excess stress or insomnia or sleep issues or blood sugar issues. And, you know, going to the brain is, you know, generally where I like to start with all of those patients. That's my way of not answering your question. No, that answers, that actually answers a hundred percent because I think, and I'm going to, I have two things written down on my little whiteboard here and I'm like, what direction do I want to go in? Because one, you spoke about lesions, not healing simply by, uh, removing things or like changing the diet, but that does have to be in place in order for you to be able to do, have this healing occur. So I want to have you speak more to that. Cause I'm certain people in the audience are like, wait, what? But I think it does answer the question in that so often and you said this before, people are like, have this big uh, push about the gut, which we understand. But I, you went and just like, yo, let's talk about brain health and cortical health and setting up that environment. So I'm like, well, which direction? Let's go to the first one. And then I will we'll go into cortical health. But can you speak more about, you talked to kind of threw it out there in passing, because like, you are, Mitchell, like, I am sitting here so stoked about this conversation, but you kind of threw out in passing about lesions, not healing, that changing the diet, removing these certain things is important and that has to be in place. So what does allow, or what does then help promote healing? Let's say in this case of said lesions. Well, I mean, I think the conversation, you know, starts at, you know, again, thinking about the fact that all of your tissue is made up of what you can assimilate from what you put in your mouth. Mm-hmm. That's a concept known as oral tolerance. Oral tolerance is essentially uh, immune inclusion or immune exclusion. So every time you eat, the system decides it's a friend or a foe. So as you as you think about, you know, starting at the top, and this is where the brain and the stress gets involved and we're chewing properly, you know, properly stimulating um, the salivary blood flow that also the chewing is actually going to give you some uh, motor feedback into the brainstem, which will actually help with cranial nerve activation. We're thinking about the vagus nerve and all the other parasympathetics. When we get into a more sympathetic state or a parasympathetic state, now you can create that acid bath that the food you just chewed will dump into. When you, when you have proper vagal nerve flow and when you have proper chewing that stimulates hydrochloric acid and pancreatic enzyme production now when that food gets into your stomach it's hitting the acid so all of the microbes along with it were able to be neutralized Um, the other thing is when we think about oral tolerance you know you having food that looks like food getting to your small intestine tends to elicit immune responses so we see this in a lot of patients who take acid blockers where when they eat their food, the food still resembles food when it gets out of the stomach. So the immune system doesn't want it there. It's looking for peptides and fatty acids and, you know, small saccharides. It's not necessarily looking for a chunk of, of steak. Um, you know, so that all starts with having that good, you know, uh, parasympathetic tone to stimulate digestive function. 
now you get into the small intestine and one of the main cells I look to there is what are called uh, dendritic cells. Just like in your central nervous system, we have dendrites on neurons. Um, dendritic cells have these little arms that are constantly reaching out and sampling contents of the lumen of the intestine. You know, we always say, oh, 70% of the immune system lies in the gut, but what are we saying? Well, we're saying that that's a very intimate interface, that that, that right there is the crux of health or ill health. So all throughout the day, you have these dendritic cells reaching their arms up through this tiny little single cell layer of, of epithelial cells in the GI tract and grabbing contents. And their job is to grab a piece of protein or a piece of antigen potentially and pull it into a, to a, a nearby lymph node and present it to these cells. The cells there usually are a T or a B cell. It's looking for a cell that matches that shape of protein on that thing that the dendritic cell grabbed. And again, if that dendritic cell is grabbing an undigested piece of food, mm -hmm. it's going to present more yeah. as what's called antigen. Yeah. A lot of our T cells actually have more receptors. They're called pat uh, pattern recognition receptors that recognize invertebrates. So they're looking for non-self tissue, non-human mm -hmm. infectious tissue. That process tends to get ramped up when we have an inability to digest our food. So now you're taking this chunk of food, you're bringing it to a lymph node and the cells there, if they can recognize it, they're going to create either a specific T cell response or a B cell response, which leads to plasma cells that makes antibodies. Antibodies to foods is a, when we see like on a, this is why I don't do food sensitivity testing. If you've lost that process, if you've lost oral tolerance and you're presenting all sorts of food antigen to a lymph node, just a B cell, you're going to make antibodies to all sorts of things. The goal isn't to necessarily remove a million different foods. It's to improve oral tolerance. Um, and what we notice when patients improve oral tolerance is now you stop getting what's called co-stimulation. Co-stimulation is a process where when you present an antigen to a T or a B cell, you also will get an inflammatory signal coming from mm -hmm. that antigen. And that's what stimulates the initial immune response. So, you know, again, getting a better chopping up of the food, getting a better presentation of a piece of food without an antigen will actually promote what's called tolerance. Now you tolerate the tissue that was brought there and you can digest your food. So, I mean, that honestly, I, I see that the loss of oral tolerance, people coming in with a food allergy test showing 75 different foods they can't eat. I see that as a hallmark sign that your immune system is just, is just not tolerating anything. And you're never going to, mm -hmm heal your insulin resistance if you can't tolerate the foods you eat because you're going to be chronically inflamed. Um, My know, so mind that, is blown right now, Mitchell. I don't know even, you know, I think that made sense. It makes so much sense. And I'm not going to lie. All that I keep thinking coming back to is part of another thing that I have a bunch of stuff written on my little whiteboard. And part of it is just kind of like the basics of things that we can be doing on a day-to-day -day basis, on a daily basis. And, you know, yes, we need these other, these other interventions will be helpful, but what can we doing? What can we be doing the other 23 hours of the day, you know, that we didn't see that we didn't go in and see you. But as you're talking about this and oral tolerance and just, you know, chewing your food, my, my brain, yes, I love the science side of things, but I'm also just so into the, like the psychosocial and the like anthropological side of this too, as well. And I keep thinking about just the fact when someone is stressed out, 
that they're shoving food down their throat, that they're, it's like, they have all these other things that are going on and they can have all these processes going on within the gut, but also just their inherent stress level. And that's causing them to be like, I'm taking one bite while I'm on my phone, while I like staring at this small screen, stress the fuck out and not chewing and how that is contributing. Just that simple thing as a start is contributing to, or can be contributing to their symptoms. Like this makes so much sense. Well, have you ever heard of the, like a food allergy addiction cycle where, you know, when you eat something that your system it doesn't want in there, for lack of a better way of saying it, you will actually get a sympathetic response, which will feel good. You'll actually mm. feel kind of good because you'll get a little histamine release and histamine is ah. going to drive what's called a TH2 response, so does stress. But due to that adrenaline release, um, you'll get a little in that stress response, you'll get a little bit of a of stress chemistry that feels good initially. And then obviously the resulting crash and then the yeah. inflammation coming from that will trigger blood sugar dumps that then will cause you to want to seek it out more. But we find patients that actually kind of get addicted to eating the foods that are harming them all started with maybe stress or something like that. But because mm -hmm. they get that little bit of a hit of stress that feels good. That makes um, sense. Yeah. And I, and I think if, you know, just thinking about how stress, you know, stress I look at is, you know, you have the gas and you have the brakes. Um, you know, the gas is that sympathetic response, the, you know, the adrenaline, the noradrenaline mostly coming from adrenal glands, but then you also have that release of cortisol that's meant to dampen the response. So, you know, people take cortisone injections, those are immune, you know, they essentially suppress your immune system. And that's because they suppress uh, these immune cells called macrophages ability to release TNF alpha, which is a compound that essentially tinders, just sparks up inflammation. So cortisol inhibits this NF kappa B TNF alpha production, but, but the sympathetic response actually increases it. So what we notice in people who are chronically stressed is you're always going to get the gas. I always say it to patients mm -hmm. is you have evolved to survive and not going to, to shock to mm -hmm, keep your mm -hmm. blood pressure up, to keep your, your lungs open, your muscles moving so that you can run away from the predator and you know, live to fight another day. So that sympathetic response is, is hardwired into us. But over time, just as you get insulin resistance, we'll actually get cortisol resistance. So you lose that anti-inflammatory component of the cortisol. Essentially, you're just, you know, your cells quit listening to the call and then you stay chronically stressed and chronically inflamed. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the other thing I see with that is the sympathetic response tends to erode your ability to make a TH1 response, which is how you kill pathogens. You know, we see so many times, when does someone's herpes outbreak get worse? When, mm -hmm. is, when yeah. you're stressed, when do you get yeah. shingles, when you've yep. been stressed? And it's because those stress chemicals actually destroy these antigen killing, antigen presenting cells as part of the TH1 response. Um, you know, but you've asked like, where does this go? I mean, literally this is loops. You know, I, I see it as we need to enter somewhere. And I always mm -hmm. say to a patient who's really scared and stressed, it's like, where do you think we should start? You got all these things going on. They just look at me blankly. I'm like, how about somewhere? You know, how about we get you breathing? How about we get yeah. you, you know, getting outside and getting sun and making sure you sleep? Let's control your blood sugar. Like, let's root ourselves to a few basics. And then you can start to see the picture in a more clear way. But when you're fried and frazzled and sick and inflamed and you can't eat anything because you got a million food allergies, well, now's not the time to you know sit and tell you that it's your fault or that you know we've got to fix all these things at once. It's like, yeah. no, we need to fix something. We need to get something in this chain to start working a little better. Mitchell, what would you say in, this is, I love that you 
you segued perfectly. So thanks for teeing it up. Yeah. Uh, can you go over some of these basics that we can control, even for people that don't have, let's say, any symptoms? Like, I, I feel like this is a great starting point, a great thing to just keep as, as you know, baseline. But what are some of the basic things that you suggest? Well, get to sleep. And I think getting to sleep starts with getting up. And I think, you know, you talked about looking at the little screen while eating. I mean, even investing in a pair of blue blocking glasses. You know, I think, you know, we see studies that show melatonin production can be inhibited by like 90% in some studies by simply looking at a screen for two or three minutes. Damn. Um, you know, I, I think it's a good start having flux or night shift on your phones and computers and stuff. But people don't think of, you know, and I'm, I'm not kidding people that don't feel well, like they don't think of the light on the oven. They don't think of the, the light on the dishwasher and things like that. Like those are all going into your retina and stimulating serotonin and inhibiting melatonin release. So I think, you know, my three non-negotiables for any patient are sleeping, pooping and blood sugar control. And I can go from pretty much any of those to why your problem is getting worse. So, I mean, I think, you know, rooting yourself to getting up every day, getting that early morning sun, you know, staying hydrated because staying hydrated will actually, you know, that has a big uh, effect through, you know, vasopressin suppression, which, you know, antidiuretic hormone that can actually mess up your blood sugars. So, I mean, again, we could go anywhere from not having sleeping, pooping and blood sugar control on point. Mm -hmm. Um I think, you know, this sounds stupid maybe, but doing something that you enjoy every day. I think so often we're working for everyone else. We're putting out for everyone else. But if you're not, if you don't have joy, like what's exhausting you, what's getting you to, to feel as if you can get to bed. Um, I think people carry around a lot of guilt and shame and they're not, they're not feeling any sort of satisfaction and yeah. I, they lay in bed at night. You know, I hear this from patients all the time. They're just, they're worried about their future, worried about this. And like, now you can't sleep. And then now you can't get up in the morning. And then now your stress response is shifted. So it's just, it's a wicked web. Um, I think something that people definitely don't do enough that, I mean, you're a huge fan of obviously is moving every day. Yeah. I think, you know, you have to move that generator. You've got to get blood supply. You've got to get hormonal supply up to the brain. You've got to support neurotransmitter function. You've got to get that generator moving every day. Um, I mean, those are some big ones. And I would say, you know, don't eat the same things. That sounds silly, but, you know, we we shouldn't have strawberries available every day of the year. That's not normal. You know, and we have, yeah. we have the same genetics as we had with ancestors long time ago what's changed is inflammation autoimmunity and environment genetics haven't changed so why are rates of diseases going up and you know i think even by simply presenting the same food to your dendritic cells every single day at some point if you continue to present the same type of food to a lymph node at some point you're going to grab a piece of self-tissue bring it to a t-cell or a b-cell and you are going to mount an immune response against your own tissue you know, so I think varying up your diet is hugely important, especially if you have autoimmunity or even if you have antibody production, you know, mm -hmm. antibodies will precede disease development by probably 10 years. And that's why I do extensive antibody testing on patients. I want to find your problem before the organ has become so bad that you have a disease. Um, interesting. You know, so I think, yeah, switching up your food is important too. And then the silly one that's probably the most underlooked besides movement is gratitude, you know. Yeah. 
you mm-hmm. actively practicing being telling someone you love them like being proud of a friend for getting something that they wanted like showing that to you will have all sorts of anti-inflammatory benefits this is so it's so fascinating I, I know that you folks listening to this as soon as Mitchell said vary your diet I, I'm guessing that you folks that follow me on Instagram are like you eat the same thing for breakfast yes I do I'm not gonna lie I switched up the rest of the meals but it's easier for my uh for my schedule to, to have that. But this ties into an episode that I did not too long ago with uh, Emily Reed. Courtney, if you could link that, thank you, about seasonality, which makes total sense. And if you are able to uh, shop at a place that brings in things that are seasonally based, then that also makes it a lot easier where you're like, well, this is what is available now. You know, we go to the grocery store and oftentimes because of where we live, you have the same things that you can get all year. But if you do uh, have the ability to go to any kind of those farmers markets, things like that, which I get is going to be difficult or different based on where you live, but that will allow for that uh, seasonality with things. But this is, it's so, uh, what's the word I want to use? Reassuring, wonderful, I don't know, to see you bringing in all of the things that have been a part of your life, Mitchell, where, you know, I met you in that very much of that movement world, rock tape, and you still put that in that list, right? The list that I wrote it down was blue blockers, sleep, poop, and regulating, controlling blood sugar. Uh, The early morning sun, staying hydrated, doing something that you love, bringing joy into your life. And then movement, you put that in there, varying the diet and then expressing gratitude. And it's, it's awesome to watch you evolve what you, your practice and what you're kind of focusing on primarily, even though, you know, we're listening to your initial story that you've always had functional med as, as the goal, but seeing you bring in the things and it's not, because sometimes you see providers where they kind of fall in love with this other thing, or they really, you know, this is, they're really passionate about something and they just kind of forget about the other stuff and they don't talk about it and that they don't like bring that in and, and they don't, continue to keep that as part of the web and part of the loops because clearly that stuff does matter in some way, shape or form. So it's really nice to see that that stuff is still in there uh, as part of the things that you are recommending. Well, you know, a couple of things I think of, I, my goal is to be like talking to multiple doctors at once. I think about that. And that's why my first visit is with a, a second clinician with Kate and it's an hour and a half long mm-hmm. is I want, I want to be able to go over all these systems. And I, you know, I don't want to water anything down and that's why I don't do any like structural stuff, but you know, I, I want the patient to recognize that I might not be a neurologist and, or a cardiologist or a gastroenterologist, but you know, I want to function as multiple clinicians thinking about you as a whole mm-hmm. at once to maximize your time and to finally help you feel heard and to finally help you realize that this is a system that can't be parsed out into the individual parts. And also it would make no sense to even want to parse them out. Yeah. You, you can't manage your blood pressure without impacting yeah. some other symptom system. The other thing I was going to say with your diet is, I mean, we all have blind spots, right? Like I, I hate cold. Like I don't mind going outside in the cold, but I'm not going to do cold bath. Like I, I do enough things that I think I can feel pretty well, but like, you know, we also are humans. And if you like your liver, I mean, I think there's worse things in the world people could be doing. 
you know, you know, I think one of the big things is, you know, people who drink multiple days a week. I mean, I think that's one of the most socially accepted carcinogenic self-poisoning tactics that humanity has made normal. You know, and I think eating your food multiple times a week is so much better than, you know, someone dumping alcohol into their system multiple times a month or a week, you know? So, I mean, we can't be perfect. And like, what fun would that be? (laughs) Mitchell, I love the, the humanness that you bring to everything, to your practice, to the things you're saying right now. And it's, it's not this, uh, you know, the pendulum swings too far before it comes back to center. And oftentimes when people believe in something, they take, it's just so extreme that it's almost not, you're almost not able to implement it because it's right. just like, I can't then it's too much. And I, I, you haven't met me where I'm at as a human. So it's, it's really, you know, wonderful to hear you just to hear how you express these things, Mitchell, like, I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing. Like, Thank you. So glad. Can but you I, go ahead? And then oh, I was just going to say, but I think that comes down to me practicing like the things that I think that I've found that have helped patients. That's what I employ to help myself. And I mean, yeah. I've certainly had, you know, early on, I've had patients, you know, get overwhelmed or, you know, think, oh, you're, you know, just pointing out what's not going well. And it's like, you have to learn, right? You have to take that feedback to try to get better. And, you know, I don't have my head so far up my own butt that I can't recognize that I don't have all the answers. And I think that's been the most freeing thing for me clinically and personally is is being able to say to a patient, like, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I don't know. But like, I'm going to try to figure it out. Like doing that uh-huh. is so much more relieving to a patient because then number one, they'll trust when you do confidently tell them something. But number two, it shows them that you are a human too, and that you're on this path with them. And, you know, we're all just flying through space, trying to figure out what the heck is going on and why we're here and how to feel okay about our existence. And like, I'm doing the same damn thing. So I think that's what it comes down to. And you say bringing human into it is like, yeah, I'm being me. Yeah, I mean, and I'm honored to be privy to you being you and this journey and just everything. Like I love speaking with you. I love brief conversations we have on social media. I love following your stories. Just this is, I am feeling so good right now about this conversation and just everything that you're doing. Like also I didn't realize that you didn't really like the cold. It's cold where you live. Oh, that's a myth. It's, it's Mitchell. I was there. It's not SoCal, but I mean, it's sunny 300 days a year. I was out in my yeah, t-shirt fair. yesterday doing homework, doing studying. Fair. Very fair. I, 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 very fair. Colorado is different in that, like, you know, you will have the cold is not the coastal cold. And uh, then you'll, the next day it's like 80 degrees. But Yeah, I'm from Wisconsin. Like, this I, is my first winter here. I was like, oh, this is cute. This is your winter. <laughs> But I mean, I wanted to throw it back at you. Like you, you know, we've talked a lot about it. You've been a massive inspiration to me. I mean, talk about being a human, like you are so authentically yourself. And I think you lead by an example that I don't even think you grasp how valuable that is for people all over the place. But I mean, I see it personally in my life, like your encouragement, not just directly, but by you just unabashedly being who you are, your freaking country music and cowboy boots, all that stuff, like. Like you, I don't know you. I think you have a bigger impact than you realize on so many people. So, like, I want to throw that back at you and thank you. I appreciate you, man, so much, <laughs> my guy. 
Can can you uh, do me a solid and give me a definition? And it could be a freaking 20 minute definition if you want. But this word inflammation gets thrown around so much, gets talked about so much. It's used in like every kind of wellness movement. I have a body space. What does that mean? Or how would you define it? I love that you asked me because this is, I cringe. People always say it's because I'm inflamed, but you're not inflamed. You know, well, you will chronically get inflamed because you're inflamed, but that doesn't start because you're inflamed, right? Mm -hmm. Well, one of my immunology professors, he always says, you know, most people understand inflammation like we understand outer space. We know there's some planets and they revolve around things, but like, you know, we know there's some redness and some swelling and some heat and that Ruber Dole or whatever mm-hmm. thing that we learn in school, um, you know, but that's like the acute inflammation. And I think chemically, I mean, let's just, can we just start at, you know, a damage pattern and how that goes? Cause this is a, this is a concept I talk with every patient about. Um, and then I'd love to maybe segue into like, you know, we have a lot of patients that are inflamed and infected and they want to like, you know, knock out their inflammation. But if you are infected, mm-hmm. the inflammatory response is how you yeah, kill it has to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd love to go into that. Tell but all the it, things. So let's just start at the top. If you have, you know, we have veins, we have tissue, we have uh, lymphatics on the bottom. And you can think about it kind of as a sink basin that gets drained into from the vein, the vein that's the faucet, and then the lymphatics clear it out through the drain. Um, you know, we've got fibroblasts and macrophages all over in our tissue, and we call those sentinel cells. And they mm-hmm. kind of, what sentinels, they look around and they scream out when things are going wrong. So let's say you get a local, you get a cut and you get a small infection in it. That infection is actually going to signal, you know, these resident sentinel cells to send out signaling molecules called cytokines. We have cytokines all over our body. Some are inflammatory, some are anti-inflammatory. Essentially, they're just chemical mediators that that uh, make other reactions happen. When these get released, these cytokines, they're actually going to diffuse through the injured or inflamed or infected tissue, and they're going to stick to the wall of the vein next to them. Um, they'll stick there and they do something called an expression of adhesion molecules, which is essentially it, it allows them to sit there and then they start yelling out to white blood cells that are in that vein. So you have all sorts of different white blood cells, right? Lymphocytes, neutrophils, monocytes, eosinophils, basophils. The primary mode of inflammation is what's called neutrophilic inflammation. It's something we test on blood work. So this, this little sentinel cell sticks to the wall of a vein, starts screaming for things, and then we have this uh, neutrophil floating by will actually stick to the wall because of those molecules that are sitting there, and it'll bleb right in from the vein into the tissue that's called extravasation Mm -hmm. that infiltration into the tissue by these neutrophils will actually lead to those neutrophils gobbling up or engulfing that bacteria if we're specifically talking about an infection and then it sits there and it's going to call out for different types of white blood cells to come in and eat them up so the engulfing of neutrophils grabbing this piece of bacteria mm-hmm. and then they start spraying things like hydrogen peroxide or you know different lysosomal enzymes that rip it apart mm-hmm. you know this is chemical warfare when neutrophils are killing bacteria they're not just like chopping it up they're actually using literally hydrogen peroxide to kill this stuff 
and then they start a clock. And this is where the big thing with chronic inflammation happens. When a neutrophil gobbles something up, it only has about six to 10 hours until it will die by secondary necrosis if it is not properly cleared. And you can imagine if a, if a cell die, if a neutrophil that's gobbled up a bacteria dies, mm. it's going to spill its contents mm-hmm. out. And that is inherently more inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So what happens is the neutrophil starts yelling these find me, eat me signals. It's literally what it's called in immunology. And the, these little other white blood cells called monocytes run to the rescue, turn into macrophages, big eater, macrophage, that gobble this neutrophil up to clear it through the lymphatics. And this is where we talk about part of that clearing process. We need all sorts of different molecules. One of them is prostaglandin E2, and that is inhibited when we take ibuprofen. Mm. Well, I talk a lot about why, when, and why we'd want to take ibuprofen. Right after an injury, sure, you, infl- you inhibit a little bit of that hydrostatic cast. But if it's four or five days after an injury, we need that clearance of dead tissue. So either the macrophage gobbles up the neutrophil and then it dies by apoptosis, which is just a programmed type of death, or the macrophage can never get there and then the neutrophil dies, spills everything, and then it propagates its own cell. Um, you know, I could talk, you know, I don't think it's necessary, but there's, you know, things called PAMPs and DAMPs, damage-associated patterns and pathogen-associated patterns. Those drive more neutrophils. So again, when the neutrophil breaks open, that will actually drive more damps to the tissue, which if you couldn't, if you couldn't clear the first amount of neutrophils, you're definitely not going to clear the second amount of neutrophils. And that's how people get stuck in this chronic inflammation kind of cascade. Mitchell, are you ever, I hate you. I already hate using that word. When is the time and place for, or is there the time and place for these supplements, which I know is like, that is definitely, if we're talking about like mainstream understanding of functional med, it, functional medicine, it's kind of synonymous in my opinion, in, in general pops, uh, understanding, I believe as functional med equals supplements. Is there a time and a place? Is there something that you are looking at using with people? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. But it's it's based on it's based on a root in understanding someone's uh, immunological picture and their immunological tipping, their polarization patterns of their T cells. Are they are they more of a type of person that has a hollow space organ dysfunction like a sinus issue? You know, we see mm-hmm, hollow mm-hmm, spaces, mm-hmm. they tend to have similar types of issues. If someone has chronic sinusitis, they likely also either have gut dysbiosis or you know, even chronic urinary tract infections, mm-hmm. those hollow mm-hmm. spaces tend to be associated with an inability of pathogen clearance. Um, you know, when we get acute infections, one of the modes by the immune system is actually creating a burst of oxidative chemicals and stress, to, like, you know, free radicals mm-hmm. to kill that, that, that infectious pathogen. So that's where I see, and I just can't stand when people give high doses of antioxidants with no real plan, Got it. Yeah. you know, and there is one antioxidant that I'm a really big fan of when you have an infection, which is glutathione. Um, glutathione is like your master antioxidant. It, uh, it's the main thing created by our system to, to deal with, uh, pathogens and oxidative stress. But I look at that more because it actually tells your immune system to do more pathogen killing. I don't necessarily look at it uh, as 
when you have an acute infection, you'll tend to have increases in glutathione to kill it. But it's because of what it does more to the uh, immune system than what it does to the pathogen itself. I look at, you know, there are important things we need. You know, if, if we're stuck in a hollow space organ dysfunction full of mucus and all that kind of stuff, you know, we don't want to get crazy with vitamin D. You know, I, I think a, a, a dose of vitamin D, if you're really low, will absolutely promote pathogen killing. But sometimes it can tip over the other way when we get too high. Um, you know, I see that with, you know, zinc as well. People take high doses of zinc right now. Well, zinc competes with copper. And if you're taking high doses of zinc, you might become copper deficient and, and we need copper, you know, so I, I think it's all about balance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we've talked about this before, like leaky gut, mm -hmm. you know, it's not caused by leaky gut, but sometimes healing the leaky gut will help tame the fire of inflammation. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I use, we'll use supplements, but more as a means of um, either getting rid of a pathogen that is straining your resources so that you can't adequately deal with your viral infections and then you get a shingles outbreak. You know, we'll, when we find what else is taking your immune army and, you know, enforcing interaction with like an old virus, now you have this chronic, you know, gut dysbiosis that's continuing on to add infinitum um, that your immune system doesn't have enough resources to kill. And that's a time when we would give you pathogen killing exogenous compounds yeah. to actually, yeah, to get rid of that. So then now your body can deal with everything else it's dealing with. Got it. Got it. Got it. This, it makes sense. Like, yes, it makes sense. Do you want to continue with this, uh, someone having inflammation or being inflamed, but also ha having infection or being infected? Well, that's where, you know, when we think of the moment you get an infection, the, the system is supposed to ramp up and create that inflammatory response, that immune response to knock it down. But in people who are um, already chronically inflamed or they're severely nutrient deficient or stressed out, typically that initial burst by the immune system won't be enough. Mm -hmm. And then you won't get adequate resolution because mm -hmm. of the system not having enough resources. So you'll live in this phase where you have a low level or a moderate level of pathogen burden at the same time as having a just below that level of inflammation. And that will, you know, the body is going to continue to try to kill this thing, but it's never going to mount a good enough response if it hasn't initially. Yeah. Um, and that's what I mean. Like if, if your first step is to promote you know, regulatory function, which is like a dampening of the immune response, you are going to allow that whatever that pathogen burden is, you're going to allow it to, you know, kind of bloom out. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, I think it's also important. A lot of times people with an infection are going to have some level of tissue hypoxia, mm -hmm. um, low level oxygen, which actually drives inflammation. So, I mean, sometimes by just helping a patient get more oxygenation, that will be enough to promote pathogen killing and then resolution of inflammation. Um, but, you know, I think oftentimes when they're chronically both, it's, it's because there's so many different types of stressors on the system and some are immune suppressive and some are immune stimulatory and we just, we get a mismatch in our T cells. So I guess, yeah, yeah. again, it's about killing what's there so that the body can deal with what it can deal with. It makes, it makes total sense. And I want to back it up or just rewind for a second for any of you who are like, you know, 50 minutes into this episode and you're starting to feel like, whoa, we're in that loop. Where do we start? And this is one of the reasons I asked Mitchell first, like, 
where does it end? And, you know, he countered with, where does it begin? Which is, we have to root ourselves in something. And whether you're working with a professional, you know, working with Mitchell, we establish, or he helps you establish, okay, well, we're going to start here with this thing. And we gain data from that. We get information for that. And then we can go in, in, you know, whichever direction makes the most sense. But he also said, which I love, and for those of you that are in any kind of assessment, this makes sense, where you're looking for other patterns, where he was just like, hey, if this is more of a hollow space kind of thing, this person's coming in, they're typically, they're prone to a lot of sinus infections, uh, uh, UTIs, things like that. Well, then we're kind of leaning more in this direction because we think that their body trends like this. And then we can start with this and go from there while also just telling that person, hey, here are some basic things that we can be focusing on as we move this forward. This is fascinating to me, Mitchell. I am not trying to do this for a living, but it's fascinating to hear. And also it's like, you can't not be interested in this when someone's speaking about it as passionately as, as you are. This is just so, so good. I'm, I'm cognizant of the time. I got a few more questions, but the big thing that I want to touch on, because I think it was fascinating when you said it was, this this cortical health and the brain as expressing the creativity and the drive there and that the body is the generator. Can you speak about that some more? Well, I mean, the human brain, I this was told to me once, it's the only thing in the universe that named itself. It's, you know, the kidney, it doesn't know it's called a kidney. An elephant doesn't know it's named an elephant. The human brain knows it's a human brain. Um mm-hmm you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's not occurring Mm -hmm. outside just because it's like out of your body and it's up in your skull, you know, it's not outside of that entire system. And, you know, the big thing I see, people talk a lot about leaky gut. Well, we have, you should think about it more as leaky epithelial membranes. We should look at, you know, leaky lung. I see people who inhale paint fumes and that sets off their migraines. I see that as a, you know, a leaky lung type of situation. We mm-hmm. see patients who um, get stressed and then their, their migraine gets worse. I mean, I see that as a leaky blood brain barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, stress tends to drive the breakdown of the blood brain barrier. We've traditionally thought of it as a, as a, you know, this hard, yeah. strong immune thing. Impenetrable. Well, is, it's not. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's very prone to damage from stress, from chemicals, from brain trauma. I mean, that's a big thing that we see is, you know, traumatic brain injuries driving, you know, that axonal damage driving permeability of the blood brain mm-hmm. barrier. Now, whatever's going on in your body it will go neurologic. We always see an end result of systemic inflammation, which can be driven by, you know, gut inflammation or any other drivers unresolved, always eventually leading to brain inflammation. And we think Mm -hmm. about, you know, even depression, you know, so often people who are depressed are also inflamed. And part of the mechanism of antidepressants is actually functioning somewhat as anti-inflammatories. You know, you need in order to have good neurotransmitter production and what's called what I call frequency of firing of cortical neurons, you need to have an intact blood brain barrier. You need to limit the amount of NF kappa B, TNF alpha going into the the, the brain nervous system, it's, you know, the system itself, um, you know, so getting better blood supply. I mean, I live in Denver, we have all sorts of patients walking around with a blood oxygen of 92 mm-hmm. hypoxia drives yep. auto and autoimmune disease through something called stat three and HIF one alpha. That is a hard and understood mechanism. So, I mean, it's the brain being 
so delicate to changes in the environment and the brain being so important. That's why I always start there with patients, yeah. you know, vagal nerve okay. stimulation. We do a lot of that, but then also just literally healing the blood brain barrier. I mean, there are, you could Google it, how to do that. I mean, there are so many different types of nutrients, but again, some of them are TH2 polarizers. So if you have a chronic infection, I, I won't recommend you just go out and start taking a bunch of stuff that could mm -hmm, heal the mm -hmm. blood brain barrier. Cause it could tip you into more of an autoimmune cascade. This is, this is, so actually it's a good segue. If people have questions, Mitchell, if they're like, fuck, this is outside of me, beyond me, I want to start somewhere. How can they look into working with you? How can they communicate with you, follow you, plug your shit, my dude? Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, we have telehealth clients all over the country. We'll, uh, we'll make it clear if you don't come in for a new patient, we'll make it clear that you're not a patient. You know, it's just a legal thing because I don't have licenses yeah. in any other states. Yep. But you know, every lab we order, you know, LabCorp is in every state. Yep. Yep. And then we have a lot of home testing. So, I mean, you know, our Instagram, you can reach out on there. I mean, we've actually, I got, you know, I had a few people reach out to me after our first episode when I didn't even have an Instagram and we started working together. Um, you know, and, and I think it's also like even going on our website, we have all sorts of free resources that I've written. I've written extensively on why ibuprofen is a problem. I've, I wrote an entire pretty lengthy blog about oral tolerance. And if you're confused about that part, like read how that will impact the whole system. I've written about neutrophilic inflammation. I mean, we have a lot of free resources on our website. And then, and even if you don't know where to start, we built, Kate and I built a, a elimination diet, you know, not just like, oh, remove these and do this, but an entire educational platform that we probably spent about 150 plus hours building. Um, and it's a cost of a one nutrition visit. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's like $80 or something, but you know, that Jeez, takes you amazing. through 60 days of why you eliminate foods, what that can do for you. And then what it's going to tell you based on what happens is, you know, so I even have patients that'll come in with elbow pain and I can't help but notice their, you know, skin issues and it's like their eyebrows are going away and, you know, they're yeah. not sleeping, their fingernails are all rigid and stuff. And it's like, Hey, let's work on some of this stuff we'll see you some of our doctors that do hands-on stuff but i think you need to get control of your diet and i'll just have them actually start with that and you'll if you start with care with somebody and you've already done a 60-day elimination provocation diet you've already ruled in or ruled out so many potential causes of your issues and by simply doing that sometimes that is all you need if all that's driving your condition because you're reasonably healthy is some some loss of oral tolerance by you cleaning up your diet. Literally, sometimes that will be all you need and you're jolly happy, ready to live the rest of your life. But, you know, sometimes that just helps point you in the direction that, okay, now we've identified these foods, but I still have headaches, you know, but I'm still not menstruating mm -hmm. properly. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not always just the diet. Let's, that's when we would start working together. Cool. You got next steps. Mitchell, what is the website? What's the Instagram? Lay it out. We'll link it in the show notes as well. Oh, yeah, it's at the facility Denver. Um, and then mine is just Mitchell Rasmussen, D.C. Um, yeah, and then we have links to our website right from our page where, you know, Kate does a really good job with the social media and the website and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I'm serious. Like, so much can be done without seeking. You know, you are the expert on your health. And by you learning how your diet impacts you, like, so much can be done without ever – 
seeking more advice. And I mean, how empowering if you can, you know, kind of work on yourself yourself and then learn about yourself. And I like, that's like my usual, like, honestly, that's usually when people reach out is like, Hey, well, have you changed your diet? No. Well, that's where I would start. (laughs) Have you started sleeping? No. Well, that's where I would start, you know? So like, I think that's the big message is like, try on your own. And then when you hit hiccups, let us do the other stuff because you can deal with probably 70% of this yourself. If you get a little bit of direction and a little bit of education and that elimination diet guide takes you through all that. I am so hesitant, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because that last part right there was like, that's the mic drop. I should end the episode, but it would be out of, uh, you know, out of my, my, my routine, my tradition, which I really do want to stick to, uh, we're 356 episodes in, and that's, I always ask at the end, you know, one, I'm so grateful for everything that you are sharing and how you're showing up for yourself and for others and what you've built and what you're fighting for and pushing for and advocating for just all of it, Mitchell. So, so, so great. And, you know, everything that you shared in this episode, but I'm going to ask, is there anything else you would like to leave the people with? Anything you want to reiterate? You could just literally say, rewind this two minutes and listen to that section again because that shit was good. Just anything. I mean, if you if you believe that something is going on with you, don't let someone gaslight you into thinking that everything is okay and you're just getting older or you just had a child or this or that, like you like be your own advocate for your health. If you believe that something's going on and you go to somebody and they haven't satisfied your understanding of what's going on, don't stop. Like, don't stop. There's a million people that could potentially help you. Like keep going, keep asking questions, find somebody else. Like don't stop moving your feet. Don't ever let somebody convince you that some problem is just in your head or some problem is just a fact of getting older because that's bullshit. Like there's reasons for you to feel the way you feel. And, you know, you would be doing a disservice to yourself if you just allowed somebody else to tell you that there's nothing going on. Oh man. man, this, you're remarkable, Mitchell. I, that is it. You are remarkable. And I am so grateful that you took the time to share all of this i'm definitely gonna be bringing you back on again and it's not gonna be in another 300 plus episodes just because i have i still have so many questions and things i want to be talking about and just things relating to covid and you know you spoke in the past about it's hard to be healthy just so many things i've written down that i haven't been i wasn't able to ask because the the conversation was flowing and i want to be cognizant of the time but i'm gonna bring you back because this is just man it's just so good so thank you thank you man you're so welcome Yeah. I like, I, that means so much to hear that from you. And I just, I appreciate you giving me this platform to express myself. And like, we've talked about off the air, like by you encouraging me, you've actually helped me find a voice that's been cathartic for me. Um, and it's that, that means everything because I, you know, as a self-conscious person who just wants to be accurate, you know, I tend to perfectionism and you've taught me that, you know, being yourself you sometimes might miss you might swing and miss but like doesn't mean you shouldn't show up and swing the bat so like honestly thank you so much for for everything you're doing for me you are so 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 very welcome just such a good the time flew by i'm looking at the thing i'm like 
shit, the time flew by. This is just, I'm stoked. I'm psyched. I'm smiling, you know, ear to ear. Thank you. Really? Yeah. Thank you. This filled my cup today. I'm excited to go treat okay, patients right? now. I'm so feeling good. on a high right now. <laughs> so good. You folks listening. Thank you. We know you could have been doing anything and you chose to listen to us. And for that, we are both endlessly, endlessly, endlessly appreciative. I'm not going to ask for any likes, subscriptions, anything like that. My, my two asks outside of that. Number one, if you like this episode, if you're picking up what doc is putting down, go and tell him, go check out his page, go say hello. Second thing, if you liked it, if you loved it, if it's resonating, share this with somebody who you think it could help. Share it with somebody who you think might find it interesting. Right. Together we rise. All right, officially wrapping it up. Until next time, friends, Dr. Mitchell Rasmussen and Maestro. Peace.